No, no. Um, so last Sunday we were actually at a Tongan church and we met the princess of Tonga. Thank you. That's the exact response I expected. Now, I didn't even know there was a princess in Tonga, but we walked into the room and off to the side. And I'm like, I'm not even like, I'm not even hyping this up. There was a, like a throne. I was walking into the throne room. I didn't know, but I was in the throne room of the Tongan princess. I can't pronounce her name because it has like 33 apostrophes and things like this as well. So, but it was wonderful. So we were there last weekend, which was really good. Um, I'm going to time myself because that clock's apparently not good. And go off that one. Okay, thank you. I'll go off my internal clock. So we'll finish at three o'clock this afternoon. I literally have, yes, I didn't say that, Graham did everyone, that was Graham. Um, I literally have like 55 slides as well and it starts with the big hello. I didn't know I was going to get an introduction so I thought I'd introduce myself but I don't even need to anymore so thanks for that Josh. Um, does this thing work? It does, there we go. Let's not go there. Um, look, I actually got to church this morning which is always a great way to start a Sunday morning. Um, I walked into the building, some people said, hey, we're excited to hear you this morning, which of course just builds the nerves that little bit more, which you're always thankful for when you're nervous about something. Um, then we went into the prayer meeting and they were just talking about and praying about how there's such a life here this morning, um, that they could feel sort of like a bit of an energy in the room, that the person, that the, the, the band was pumping, everyone was happy, we were sort of joyous, we had a little bit of rain the other night. Um, now what they didn't know though is probably the topic of what I'm speaking on this morning, which of course is death. <laughs> um, so they're talking about life and I'm like, I might have heard wrong <laughs> um, because I'm here to talk about death. Now, I know what you're like, Chris, why are you talking about death this morning? Um, but there is a really good reason and we're going to explore it for the next little while that I'm up here. Um, but I, 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 life has an expiry date, did you know? Um, yes, <laughs> some people know, oh, I wasn't going to say that, but again, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, life does have an expiry date. It's not like sour cream, it doesn't just last forever, right? It, hey, what's it going to do, go sour? <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> so it's not like sour cream, it doesn't last, life last forever. Life does have an expiry date. And I think the sooner we realise this, is the sooner you and I begin to change our behaviours and begin to go, well, if life's going to run out, I need to do something fun here now. And we have these sorts of two responses to life having this expiry date. Now, why does life have an expiry date? Ready for the profound moment number one to, to this morning? It's because of death, right? Because death. We live and we die. And I'm, I'm sorry the kids are in here for this one as well. Look at this, guys. This is what, this is what you've got waiting for you, right? Okay. Um, it's because we die. Because we live and we die, it's the two sides of the same coin. It's something that all of us will be met with at one time. If you're trying to avoid it, I'm sorry. It's probably not going to happen, right? Unless, of course, you've heard of Frozen Heads and Indiana Jones. Now, what am I talking about here? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the rumour of Walt Disney, who apparently cryogenically froze himself at his death, or just before he died, in hope that one day science would allow him to be reanimated and have life again. Why? Because death leads people to do some crazy things. 
it leads people to freeze heads. And also, I was going to put end Nazis up there, but I thought an Indiana Jones was up there, and let me explain my point. Um, the third Indiana Jones movie, we sort of see this obsession of the Nazi Germans in that time, or to depict it, it's not real, just to let you know, um, in that time who were chasing after this eternal life through um, this cup, right? That they could drink from this chalice, which would give them eternal life. Why? And they were, they were doing everything to get there. They were, they, were, they, were, they were killing people. They were just like knocking heads, pushing people over, whatever they were trying to do to get to life, to get to eternal life. Why? Because death comes to us all, and we're all trying to do what we can to make this life as best as possible. But I don't think it just stops there. Um, the question asks, if we're not trying to prolong our life, what can I do to make this life the best life? What can I do to make this not just an ordinary life, but a life that's fun, a life that's joyous, a life that's enjoyable, a life that's fulfilling? Am I the only one who's asked these questions? Maybe you have too. Right? What do I need to do to make this life as best as possible? The best life. Now, before we get there, um, I think the thing about Christianity, I don't know what slides I've got coming up next, so I'm just going to click and go back a lot to this morning. Um, I think the thing about Christianity is though uh, the rest of society has told us the best life looks this way, Christianity actually flips it on its head and says, no, 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 the best life looks this way. Now, not only is this like a little bit confusing, it's subversive and all these other things, but what we find is oftentimes the things that you and I may be chasing in our current age are actually the wrong things to be chasing. Now, this is illustrated quite perfectly by Jesus in Matthew 16, 25, when he says this, uh, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, um... Let me read it again. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. A lot of society today is talking about how to have the best life, but Jesus comes along and talks about how to lose your life. That's confusing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's confusing. Like, I, the, the more and more I study the Bible, or the more and more I've grown up in the church, the more and more it's okay for me to go, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, but Jesus is talking about how to lose your life. No, 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 don't, don't try to prolong this thing. Don't try and have the best, glorious, most amazing life with lots of possessions and money or whatever it may be. Instead, Jesus is like, uh, no, no, you have to lose it. And then you'll find it. So I think we've probably heard maybe lots of sermons, and I'm not, I'm not like boohooing these, or like out of John 10.10 about how to have the best life and a full life, but what I want to talk about this morning is how to lose a life, because apparently we've got to learn how to do that too. So I hope you're okay for the next 30 minutes or so, however long I go for, to go on the journey with me as we sort of try and discover, try and tease this thing out, grow some flesh around these bones of what on earth does it mean to lose your life. How about we pray? Uh, God, we're here this morning and we're thankful that we're here. We're thankful we're surrounded by people who love us. Um, we're in a building that's beautifully aircon when it's hot outside. Um, but more so that we're here and we've devoted time to, to, to sort of concentrate on you. 
to really orientate our gaze towards you and what you're speaking to us. I pray you'd give us ears to hear. Um, I pray you help us uh, hear your message and then walk out of this building differently. In your name, amen. So, how do I lose a life? Um, how do we define the good life? How do we lose it? These are sort of some of the questions that you and I are faced with as we're faced with this statement of Jesus out of Matthew 16 about losing one's life. Oh, there's a screen up the back. There we go. Thank you. I didn't even realize. Okay. What have I been doing? So... Um, one way people try to uh, live this best life, to, to do this, is to actually accumulate a whole lot of stuff, right? Now, one of those things, one of those stuffs are what I'd call possessions. Now, maybe you can think about it now. I haven't even looked at my notes. Maybe you can think about now. What are some of the things in life that you possess? Maybe there's some of the things in your life that you possess that actually you think add some value to you. Now, I remember when I was a kid, one of those things I used to really love was my action man. Right? It used to give me some value. I remember like going home and like, uh, do you, does anyone know what Action Man is? No. Oh my gosh. Action Man was just the man who could do action, okay? Obviously from the title. Now the coolest thing about him is he had this like scar on his right cheek. And I remember one time I was with my brother and we were like playing around and I scratched my face and I had a scar. I had like a cut on my right cheek. And my brother was like crying. He's like, you're action, man. Like, oh my gosh. But this action figure, this toy gave me a lot of value in life. It was like, man, I'm having the best life. Why? Because I possess action, man. I have action, man. Now, I know this is like a silly illustration to a sort of a, maybe something that can mean a lot more. Is what in your life is that thing that actually helps you define some value from your life? What is that thing that you possess? Is it maybe like the car you drive? I have none of that. I drive a Nissan Micra. <laughs> There's no cool cred there. Um, but what is it? What is that thing that you possess that there's times when you're like, oh, I love that I possess this. I love that I own this. I love that this is me. I get value from this. This helps me have a better life. Because that's what we're sold, right? We're never sold a product. We're sold like an improvement or a fulfillment of life. Get these headphones because they don't have wires and they're going to make your life way better. Get this car because, I don't know, you'll have like a really attractive wife all of a sudden or something. <laughs> like, like do these things because it's going to make your life better. Because we're trying to chase this best life with stuff. What is that thing for you? What is that thing for you? Do we define our lives by what we possess? Now, it doesn't just go to things like cars and action figures, but it goes to so much more than that. Um, what else do we possess? Maybe it's titles, which we'll talk about soon. Maybe it's friendships and people groups that we've gotten along with. What are those things that we possess that define and give us some life? Knowledge, fantastic, right? I've got all this knowledge, I've got all this power, that I possess that. I find fulfillment in my life because of those things that I possess. What I really love, or maybe it's like secrets or something like that, right? Like, you get those, it's always fun in church, like there's people who just like, under, who know what's going on all the time, like, did you hear about what Stephen's doing? Like, secrets, maybe it's something like that. 
So the question then comes, of course, how do we die to my possessions? Because what are possessions supposed to be that thing that defines and gives us life? Not at all. Matthew 19, 21 to 22, is we see this, I'm not going to go there just for time's sake, but we see this really beautiful moment when Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler who's got lots of possessions, and he says to them, hey Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And what does Jesus do? He's like, sorry? Absolutely. Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and says, I can see your life is defined by what you possess. I can see your life is defined by what you have. Get rid of it. See, I think the biggest antidote to loving what you have is to give it away. Generosity hurts, right? Why? Because I like what I have. I work hard to get paid. Like, right? My boss is here. I work hard to get paid. Hopefully he's nodding along with me. I work hard to get paid. I don't want to give my money away. I possess this. I've got this money. I've got a good savings account. God's like, if that's what defines you, if that's where you find your fulfillment, your life, your joy, if that's what means you have the best life, get rid of it. Give it away. Give it away. Now, of course, this leads to Jamaican bobsled teams. <laughs> of course it does. Is that what someone said? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love a movie called Cool Runnings. I think it was released in like 1992 or something. I'm getting some nods, yeah. Every time it rained at high school, the lady would wheel in <laughs> an amazing... It was, like a, like a, just a, it was like a gateway to my future, right? This Jamaican bobsled team movie called Cool Runnings. Um, apart from me doing any sort of Jamaican accent or anything, I'm not going to do, um, even though I really want to. Um, yeah, no, so I thought about doing it then. I was like, no, no. Um, in the movie, we actually have this really, really beautiful scene where uh, the coach of the Jamaican bobsled team is, he used to be like a world champion. He had gold medals, he'd done it all, but then because of cheating, he'd actually lost it all. He had it stripped away. And we have this beautiful moment when Doris Benick, the leader of the Jamaican bobsled team, is sitting in his room and he looks up at his coach and he says to his coach, coach, why did you do it? Why did you cheat? You had it all. You had a gold medal, you had it all. You possessed this thing. You had it all. And the coach looks to Doris Benick and he says this. He says, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. I think it's moments like those when, I don't know, disgruntled coaches of Jamaican bobsled teams can sound a little bit like Jesus. Is though you might sometimes find joy and happiness and the best life from what you possess, what you think you can buy, what you think you can use your money to possess, um, actually, if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. How do we die to that? We give it away. We give it away. Now, I'm not saying go home and give away everything or something like that. Or maybe that is what God's saying to you. I don't know. But I think sometimes we need to look at what we're possessing, how we're holding it on. Is it giving us value? And maybe give it away. The next thing, people. 
This is sort of a funny one. I think oftentimes in life, you and I are in relationships. We're, uh, we're with people in our lives, not actually because of who they are and what they can do, but actually because of what they can do for us. Um, sometimes we define our lives not by ourselves, not by God, but actually by the people who we're in relationship with. Um, so, for example, um, my best friend, my childhood friend since 10 years old this year, went on The Voice. And out of nowhere, um, he's now like famous. What is all this about, right? He's got like 60,000 followers on Instagram. People just send him free stuff now for no reason, just so he'd put up a picture about it. And I, I, it blows my mind, right? But oftentimes, I can then find myself in conversation. They'd be like, oh man, did you watch The Voice the other night? I don't watch The Voice, by the way. Did you watch The Voice the other night? Did you see that guy, Zeke Power? He's so good. And then I'm like... Let me tell you something. <laughs> That's my best friend. Have been so since 10 years old. If I start to find some joy in my life because of the people who are around me, I think I'm missing something, right? Because I no longer love Zeke for being just Zeke, for being the kid who used to flipping hog the Xbox controller when we were 10. But if I just love Zeke because of what he can just give me, because he's famous, because people go, you know Zeke Power? Oh my gosh, man. Why am I in a relationship with this person? Why, do, why am I in a relationship with Zeke? Is it because maybe I'll get some free shoes if someone sends him some? Which has happened, by the way. <laughs> why am I in a relationship with Zeke? Why are you in a relationship with the person you're sitting next to? Why are you in a relationship with, I don't know who it may be in your life, but are you just using them for you to get stuff? Or is it because you truly value them? I think we even have to find this, uh, there's, I don't want to get into it, but there's like a few psychoanalytics that talk about in relationships within couples, oftentimes we love one another, not because of who they are, but because of how they make us feel. Then the question has to be asked is, do you actually love that person or do you love how it makes you feel? I know, I have to look at myself for that with people, right? Do I love my grandma because she's my grandma and I should just love her for who she is? Or do I love her because sometimes she gives me money? She doesn't actually give me money. <laughs> but why do I love this person? Now this, um, they talk about these two things called extrinsic value and intrinsic value. Now all this means is people have two sorts of value. People either have Extrinsic value, which is this person's holds value because of what they can do for me. So, if I was going to go buy a new car this week, I would be really nice to the person selling me the car. Why? Because of what they can do for me. I'd be like, hey man, I really like your haircut. Where'd you get it done? Hoping that he'd give me like a discount or something on my car. Not because of who he is as a human, but only because of what he can do for me. And we must ask ourselves the question, are we in relationship with people not because of who they are as a human, but rather because of what they can do for you? Maybe think of that right now. Who is someone in your life that you treat really nicely, a special way, just because of what they can do for you? The other one is intrinsic value. This person holds value because they hold value. Because they're human, because they have a breath, because they're alive. 
so? How do we give up using people for our own benefit? How do we die to just having relationships only purely out of how they make me feel or what people can do for me? Um, again, Jesus has something to say. Um, I'm going to open my Bible for this one and read it. If you want to read it with me as well. So Luke 14, 13 to 14. So what this is, is Jesus is actually dealing with this whole concept of people just doing things to get something back. Now, what used to happen a lot in the ancient world is people would do things like, um, I'm going to invite you around to dinner, so you will invite me around to dinner. Now, there's some people that I would like, have, if you've ever been to dinner at Josh and Sharon's place, they cook really good, right? So I'd do whatever I can for them so I can get invited around for dinner because it's good food. Yeah. <laughs> Sharon's a good cook, what can I say? <laughs> so the way Jesus then addresses this problem or this issue in the ancient world of people just using people to get invites back to abuse this relationship just because of we can get some value added out of this, is he says this, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteousness, the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. See, the remedy to just using people for your own benefit is to love, to be kind to people who can't give you anything back. How powerful is that? Jesus subverts the whole system by simply saying, oh, that's easy. Just give to those who can't give back. Just give to those who just have absolutely no clue of how to love and reward you for what you've done. Love those who cannot return the favor. Love those who cannot return the favor. I think the other way we sort of see this interesting thing of people within people finding value in their lives is we get caught up in who is following who. Um, so for my friend Zeke, for example, who's got 60,000 Instagram followers, right? That's like a popularity thing. He's got 60,000 followers. That's pretty cool. We can off, you often find this when you go to any pastor's conference. Is the very first question, as like a youth pastor or a kid's pastor or a senior pastor, just any kind of pastor, the very first question you get is, oh, so how big's your church? How big's your ministry? Right? Imagine maybe it's your life group. Oh, I'm a life group leader. How many people in your life group? Has it grown? What's the trajectory looking like? We ask ourselves because we get you and I get caught up for some reason in who's following who and how many you have. Is your status, is your life defined by, well, I've got this many followers on Instagram or Facebook or something like that? And Zeke's is, and I talk to him about it all the time, right? <laughs> John 666. That's not the devil's scripture or anything like that, so please don't freak out. Um, my grandma would be like, don't read that Bible verse or something. I actually really love this story because I used to ask this to some of my friends sometimes. Um, it says this um, At this point, 
So Jesus, sorry, so Jesus, let me introduce this. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He tells them something that's a little bit scary, maybe something that they didn't actually want to hear. And then John records it by saying this. And at this point, of his disciples, sorry, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. This is Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? I think we sort of have to ask ourselves the question sometime is when was the last time our church shrunk, right? <laughs> when was the last time people actually turned away from following us on Instagram? When was the last time people were just like, unfollow, man? What is this guy on about? Because I think Jesus subverts this whole culture of who's following me. How many people do I have in my congregation? How many people do, how many friends do I have? Do I know this person? Do you know what? Jesus is like, lose them. If your whole identity, if your life, your sense of purpose is built up on that, lose them. That's not what it's about. Now I know that's like, what on earth is he talking about, right? This is a little bit scary. But I think oftentimes we can find our identity in these things when Jesus is like, that's not what it's about. Lose them. Be okay. Now, someone's probably thinking of some very wordy Facebook post to go home and write tonight that's going to lose them a whole lot of followers or something, probably about Donald Trump or something. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying, I think if we're finding our identity, our life in these things, we need to die to that. We need to give it up. Our life is found in who our relationships are or who is following us. If that's what it is, then we need to lose them. And then the third one um, is positions. Is positions. And I've got 10 minutes and I've got lots to do. Let's get through this. Um, I grew up in a really interesting old school Pentecostal church. Um, I was six years old and I got saved at a Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flame play. Right? If you know what that is, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I think the, 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 the laugh of Satan was like in my ears or something like that. Um, there was lots of tinfoil everywhere. Um, I grew up really old school Pentecostal. Yeah, again, some people get that. So um, really old school, and we followed that up, sorry, let me say, by watching the Left Behind movies for the next like four Sundays at night. Oh my goodness, man. We were full, okay. <laughs> um, so I grew up really old school Pentecostal, but within that tradition at that time, in that church, there was this absolute obsession with the highest calling in life is for you to become a pastor. And it was like, do you know what? For you to find some sort of meaning, you need to get to the top of the Christian spiritual hierarchy. I think oftentimes we can find our best life, we think, in what position I hold. Am I a CEO of a company? Am I a pastor of a big church? Am I, I don't know, whatever it may be for you. I'm a professional football player or I've got 60,000 Instagram followers. What is that place, that position of power that we can sometimes find our, what we think our destiny or our calling or our best life in? Because it's actually not about that. I think the more and more you get into the center, you realize it's actually about going back out anyway. Do we define our life by our positions of power? 
Do you define your life, your purpose of life because of maybe who you have influence over, because you're the principal of a school, because you lecture in theology at a Bible college or something like that? Because in truth, none of that matters. None of that matters. The best life is actually nothing to do with that and we must lose it. In Mark 10.45, Jesus subverts this whole culture by it doesn't matter what your status is in society. Remembering the ancient world, a society totally built on statuses. And what does he say? In Mark 10.45, he says this, And the Son of Man, like Jesus, God in the flesh, came as a servant for all. Even though he was king, even though he was God here on earth, even though he had all power, he still came as a servant. I think the best way to subvert this nature of us trying to look for our life's potential, our greatest life, in positions of power, of titles, or whatever it may be, is to die to those positions and become a servant. Furthermore, I actually love what Jesus does, is because you often see him throughout his ministry um, interacting with people, doing amazing things, healing the sick and the blind, and then him being like, don't tell anyone about this. Keep it a secret. Now, if I did anything like that, I'd be like, someone filming this. <laughs> did you see what just happened? Give me a testimony. Let me put this up online. Tell your friends, please. Chris is coming to town. But Jesus is like, no, no, don't tell anyone. So much so that we actually see Jesus time and time again running away from the crowds running away from the titles, even when Peter has this revelation from God, oh, you're, you're God, you're the living God here on earth. He's like, great, don't tell anyone. Because this has nothing to do with my positions, my titles, whatever that may be. It's got to do with I'm coming here to serve humanity. If you find your purpose of life in what title you may have, what your job is, who you know, Serve. I don't know what's in that scripture. I didn't write that one down. It's all good. We've run out of time. Let's keep it going. Don't tell anyone, right? Don't tell anyone. Um, now, this leads to ripped manuscripts. Um, I've been reading Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl at the moment. Um, and it's Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish man who was in Auschwitz so, uh, during the Holocaust years. Um, and he actually talks about this. He talks about uh, coming out of the train carriage, getting led into Auschwitz, so getting welcomed into the concentration camp. And there's this moment when all of the prisoners are told to strip down, to, to get rid of everything. And he said he was holding on in his hand to his manuscripts of his PhD, his life works. And he was pleading with the guards, God, please just let me keep this. I need to keep this. People are going to get helped by this. This is who I am. This is my whole life. And the guard grabs it, rips it off him, and in his, in his face just shouts, rubbish. It's rubbish. And in that moment, he talks about he realized that his status, his position of being the smartest person didn't matter one little bit. It was all just rubbish. We have to learn how to die. We have to learn how to lose our life. Why? Why do we have to learn how to lose our life? Why do we have to learn how to die to being obsessed with possessions, to being obsessed with using people for our own gratification, for being obsessed with positions of power? Why? Because after death comes resurrection. 
right? Because the story doesn't just stop there. Because Jesus says, after you lose your life, then you'll find it. But you have to lose it first. So the question begs for you and I sitting here this morning is, are you willing to lose your life? Because if you're really looking for it, losing it will lead to finding it. Losing it, giving it up, is actually going to lead to you getting resurrection and new life. If I can get the band up. 2 Corinthians 5.14-17 says this, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view, right? We've stopped evaluating our life and others' lives from a human point of view. And instead, at one time, we even thought of Christ merely as in the form of a man. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We have to learn how to lose our life because there's life right around the corner. We have to learn how to lose our life because why? Because there's resurrection. Because the whole thing was flipped. It was changed. You think you find your purpose, your destiny through whatever it may be. Lose it. Because God's got something more. So let us die. Let us die this morning as we sit here. Let us die as we drive in our cars. Let us die every morning we wake up to old ways of living, old ways of thinking. Why? Because if we die, we may live. Let us die so that we may live. So we may participate in the death of Christ to raise again with Him in resurrection. So therefore, the resurrection is not something we only believe in, but something we participate in daily. Every day I die, yes, but every day I am resurrected. Every day I have a new way to live, a new way to live this life, a new way to interact with my friends, my people, a new way to give, to be generous, a new way to hold positions of power and influence through servitude, a new way. Because when I die, there's life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you'd like to stand with me, I pray that this week as we walk as we interact with one another as we find ourselves in whatever position of influence of power we may find ourselves this week I just pray that you would help us to die to die to ourselves to die to that old way of living so that we may receive new life the daily everyday decision of death and resurrection because that's where everything changed God I pray you'd help us to be a resurrected people in your name Amen
office for reminding me, and I think reminding us, that the life of following Jesus, the pathway that Jesus has to life is not just a sort of a, a slightly cleaner version of the world's version of your best life now. It is a completely different path. Thank you for reminding me and reminding us again that the way of Jesus is turning everything upside down. And I really, I really love the thought uh, that we participate. The resurrection is not something we observe and benefit off. We participate in it. Jesus himself said that we, if you want to follow me, you are to daily take up your cross and follow me. The only, the only things we get to keep is the stuff we're prepared to give away. How crazy is that? The, 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 world, the world's pathway to being healthy well the world speaks nothing of that. The only things that you own are the things you're prepared to give away. Otherwise, guess what? Those things own you. Thank you, Chris. To the very heart of the gospel message. And it's one of those messages where I recognize if, if it's really... Um, if it's really penetrated, there's some there's some homework. <laughs> it spills out, doesn't it? You can't just kind of go, oh, that was nice, and kind of, there's there's some homework. And so we we like to create a bit of a space now where we recognise that for some of us there might be really sharp, pointy God stuff to do. And so the band's going to continue in worship to provide a, an atmosphere. We would love, and I'm sure Chris would be happy here, and our elders to just pray with you. Uh, we don't so much pray for you as pray with you because we just believe in these moments the Holy Spirit comes. You don't need any special priest to stand in between you and God, but we'd love to like, come alongside you. And so if you'd like to unpack something and pray, then I just ask you to come in this space up here. Our elders will be here. We'd love to pray with you. Um, we do some of our best work around a cup of tea and coffee and some uh, great food. So join us outside there. Again, if you can just recognize people doing business with God here and say, take those, take the conversations and the joy and the energy and life of being community outside, um, that'd be fantastic. Uh, have, a, have a blessed week. Have a wonderful week. Please feel free to stay and worship for a bit longer. And like I said, we'll come and worship. Uh, come and, we'll come and pray with you together. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, friends. Stone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission. For further information about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the Cornerstone website at www.homecommunityworld.com.au. Cornerstone meets at 81 Meter Parade Alderney every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Please feel free to join us. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. Thank you.